0: and you can find that on page um, 1132 of the Bibles the church Bibles if you've got one before, before the reading there's just a uh, just a little Bible prayer that I'll go through now if it should be up on the screen um, let's pray Lord we ask that you would teach us each day that people do not live on bread alone, on every word that comes from your mouth. Feed us today with your word so that we might truly live following your Son in the life he called us to live. Amen. Okay, now for the reading. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory.
1: Thanks, Steve. Good morning. My name's Colin. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to have you with us. Be lovely to talk to you every morning, Steve, if I haven't before i would be lovely to talk to you anyway. Even though I have talked to you before. You're, most of you are lovely. Right. Um, there's a true story that I, like I read in the newspaper the other, a few weeks ago, and I thought, this is a sermon illustration waiting to be used. And finally, I've got to use it. So, there's a picture on the uh, screen here. This guy. I'll just read out the newspaper, because it's just so good. A Romanian court has ruled that a 63-year-old man is dead despite what would appear to be convincing evidence to the contrary, the man himself appearing alive and well in court. Constantin Relieu asked the court in the town of Balad to overturn a death certificate obtained by his wife after he had spent more than a decade in Turkey, during which time he was out of contact with his family. The court told him he was too late and would have to remain officially deceased. I'm officially dead, although I'm alive, a bemused Relio told local media outlets. I have no income, and because I'm listed dead, I can't do anything. (laughs) Relio had planned to renew his passport in Romania and return to Turkey, but on arrival, he was detained by immigration officers, who informed him that he had died in 2003. (laughs) A spokeswoman explained that he'd been too late with his appeal against the death certificate and had thus lost the case. The ruling is apparently final and cannot be appealed against. (laughs) So poor old Mr. Relieu is sure that he's alive, but he's told by the state that he's dead. As Christians, I think we often have the opposite problem. We need help being convinced, being assured that we're not dead in our sin, are alive, have eternal life in Christ. We need help having assurance that we're still Christian. Because our struggle is real, isn't it? We we come to believe in Jesus, put our trust in him, and at first it's like pure joy. But inevitably, inevitably we go wrong. We do things we know we shouldn't be doing. Old attitudes and habits come back and seem almost impossible to throw off. And in the chapter before this one um, that was just read to us, chapter 7, Paul, who, the apostle Paul who wrote this letter says, um, for I do, I do not understand what I do. I always think this sounds better in a Liverpool accent, you know, like the Beatles. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. The do-do, that, that's what i mean, saying. But there's much debate about whether Paul here is talking about life before he was a Christian or while he's a Christian or there's a third view. If you want to know about that and where I stand, you can ask me afterwards. But the fact is, we've all felt like that, haven't we? We can all relate to those things he said. Um, not doing what we want to do, doing the evil we don't want to do. And it leaves us needing assurance. It leaves us asking the question. How can I be sure I'm saved if I keep on sinning? So that is why the Apostle Paul has written Romans 8, to help us to have that complete assurance of our salvation. So let's not miss that. Chapter 8 begins, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends the chapter with, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Assurance. So if you're a Christian here today and you go away with any less certainty of your salvation, I'm sorry, I haven't done my job. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today and you leave still completely comfortable with the life, that the life you've chosen is safe, then I haven't done my job. So there's an outline in your leaflets and we'll be focusing on the because we're in this series on the Holy Spirit. We'll focus on the role the Holy Spirit plays in giving us that assurance in fakes of our real struggle with sin. So first up, the Holy Spirit brings us new life new life so the holy spirit mediates to us makes real in us everything that jesus has done for us so again verse one therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus all right just to make sure we don't miss that it's really important so let's hammer it home by all saying it together so you ready Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Good. Why is there no condemnation? Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the law of sin and death there, that means that left to our own devices, we're all heading to physical and spiritual death Because of sin, because of our prideful rebellion against God. And we could never, verse 3, save ourselves by keeping God's law. Okay, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I'll go with Stephen and just do a quick game of scissors, paper, rock. You know how to play it? Okay. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, well done. Okay, so paper defeats rock, yes. And do. Oh, come on, settle down. <laughs> you can play that over morning tea if you want to know who's really the victor. You can see the competitive ones, can't you? Do scissors beat rock? Why not? You can't cut wrong. And what does rock do to the scissors? Yeah, because it's too, it's too hard, isn't it? Our hearts are too hard to obey God's law. Our hearts are too hard to fully obey God's law. And so we end up heading for death. But Jesus, verse 3, Jesus came and lived the perfect life. And so was the perfect offering for our sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means, yes, he was fully human, yet without sin. Jesus became, became what we are so that we could become what he is, perfect and fully pleasing to God. Jesus became what we are so we could become what he is, perfectly and fully pleasing to God. All the sin we have ever done, ever will do, is, is condemned. It's condemned in Jesus' flesh. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So us who live according to the spirit, if you're a Christian, that's you. Uh, last week we saw that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to all believers. In fact, the only way we can come to believe in the first place is by the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin and our need for Jesus. Jesus. Uh, back into verse 4, the law being fully met, now that's not something we do, that is something that is done for us. So what it's not saying is that because we have the Holy Spirit, we can expect to become so holy in this life that we completely obey God's law. And that mistaken thinking uh, makes many Christians doubt that they have the Holy Spirit. No, the, the law being fully met is what, Jesus has done for us. And we live according to the spirit in us who gives us life. Because through him, God sees Jesus' perfect record in us. So the Holy Spirit in us brings brings in, makes real and effective in us what Jesus has done. And this is the law of the spirit in verse 2. And this means that there is no condemnation so if you're feeling emotionally robust enough to do this think what is the worst thing that you've done this week what's the worst thing that you've done in your life the thing that you feel most guilty or embarrassed about if you're in Christ don't let that thing condemn you anymore. Because you're no longer defined by the law of sin and death that we deserve. But we're defined as one who lives according to the spirit, who has past tensed, the spirit who has set you free, giving you life. So the Spirit gives us new life, and the Spirit is, our second point, our new governor. The Holy Spirit in you has given you a new mindset. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit in you has given you a new mindset. So verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So Paul's continuing this contrast between flesh and spirit. Um, now, flesh, if you've got an older translation of the Bible, might you might have it in there as sinful nature. And what it's referring to is um, Humanity in its narrowest sense. So humanity without reference to God. It's not saying that our bodies are and material stuff is inherently bad um, and causes to sin. But our bodies are where sin takes place. We'll see in the life course tonight that what makes me sin is me, my heart so my flesh is me and because we're sinful us living dominated by our own mind leads to death but if you're christian you have the spirit who governs you instead now i get it at this point you may say to me oh, hang on a minute i thought we were after some assurance here if only you knew my mind if only you knew the struggle I have to keep it off what my flesh desires. If you knew, if only you knew how I strive and make plans to do the right thing, to pray and read the Bible and fail. I mean, doesn't that show my mind is not governed by the spirit? Doesn't that show I'm governed by the flesh? That I might not even have the spirit? That I might not even be saved? And I reckon even the seemingly most Godly and faithful Christians have felt like that at some point, or several points. The struggle is real, isn't it? Uh, If there's no defeat and no failure in Christian life, then Paul wouldn't have needed to write this chapter. But here it is. But be encouraged. Your struggle is a sign of life. If you're feeling that tension... That's a good thing because you only feel that tension because the Holy Spirit has given you, verse 6, a taste of life and peace, of knowing that you are secure for eternity in Christ. You only care about the fact that you sin because by the Spirit you are no longer hostile to God. The Spirit gives you love for God and the power to begin to obey him. You're no longer hostile to God. So do you have the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian, yes. Paul Paul tells us straight up, verse 9. You, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour... You have the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a gift. He's part and parcel of every Christian coming to faith. He's included in the package, no exceptions. Uh, Paul puts it like this in uh, his letter to Titus. Uh, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, so becoming a Christian, by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life all part of the package that word mindset in verse 5 that's, that's talking about the basic general direction of our will what dominates our being So until we die or Christ returns, we will always struggle with sin. Our flesh, our sinful nature, our self, will always be at work. But it won't win. Um, Have you ever seen somebody out walking the dog and they begin to look like their dog? Have you seen that? People with a similar hairdo sort of thing. Or people say married couples, when they've been together long enough, start looking like one another. These are some celebrity couples. That Brad and Angelina one, Uh, Brad and Gwyneth, they look similar, yeah. Or I noticed when when I worked in hospital, you'd get um, elderly people who'd been chain smokers their whole life. And it was my observation that they began to look like a cigarette. They became really white and pale, and their white hair became sort of Browny orange like a cigarette filter tip. (laughs) True. Any smokers out there? Look out. Over time, constantly, patiently, the Spirit is at work in us to make us more like Jesus, changing our minds so they are set on what He desires. And you might be feeling right now like your mind is stuck, like you're not growing as a Christian, or maybe even going backwards. All I can tell you is that God promises he will change you by his spirit. He will give you life. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. So he, the spirit, is the basis of our confidence for change. On our own, we're powerless to change. But the same spirit which, verse 11, raised Jesus from the dead, is in us. And if he's powerful enough to raise Jesus physically from the dead, if he's powerful enough to raise us when when he returns, he's surely powerful enough to govern our minds. So as you struggle, be assured that your struggle is a sign of life. It's a sign of growth. And keep asking God to dominate your mind by his spirit. Uh, Conversely, if you're not struggling at all, if you're you're not a believer, a common objection to Christianity is, well, I'm no angel, but you wouldn't define me as a sinner. I'm generally a good person. And we all know someone who's a much nicer person than any Christian we've met, don't we? Who's not a believer, but he's much nicer. But there's a warning in verse 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's not because God is unreasonable, but it's because God is perfectly good, perfectly loving, and he must be against sin. So however much of a minor note sin seems in someone's life, if they're not living for God, they're living for themselves in the realm of flesh, hostile to God. But given Jesus has done everything needed to save you and sent his spirit to help you to live this life in a way that pleases him, why are you holding out? So our struggle with sin is no longer a hopeless case because um, the spirit is our third point, our new leader, our new leader. So the Holy Spirit leads us away from sin and towards crying out to God as our father. So first of all, away from sin. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So earlier in the week, my uh, old boss from the Royal Adelaide X-ray Department um, called. He said, Colin, uh, we're really desperate for staff Sunday evening. um, I've tried everyone, but no one else is available. So you're going to have to come in and do a shift in CT scan. I said, but Michael, I don't work for you anymore. I'm not even registered as a radiographer anymore. Doesn't matter. I insist, you've got to do it. So that's tonight. So Cameron, I'm sorry, you'll have to do life course this evening. Okay. Yeah, all right. Now, of course, that's silly, isn't it? I, I, I've got no obligation to my former employer anymore. I mean, it used to feel inevitable that um, if you saw that number come up on the phone, when, that you'd get a call. When lots of people are off sick, I felt like I couldn't resist the urge um, to go in and help. But now, even if I felt like going to work at the Royal Adelaide, my obligations lie elsewhere. Even if I tried to go back, I'd I'd be terrible at it. I'd forgotten loads of it. I'd be less and less familiar with that world. And my heart just wouldn't be in it. The temptation to live according to the flesh, to our old self, to sin, will always be there. But to live like that is no longer inevitable. It's no longer hopeless to resist because we resist in the power of the Holy Spirit. He works in us, changing our hearts so they're less and less following the flesh, less and less familiar with that, and more and more set on him. Again, these verses could make us feel a bit wobbly, couldn't they? Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Well, this isn't talking about lapsing and falling into sin that we all do. The kind of falling into sin and going astray that that grieves us and makes us miserable. No, this is talking about a willful disregard for becoming more like Jesus for those who don't care what the spirit thinks for those who are hostile to god for those who have their minds set exclusively on what they want the warning is you will die but notice what the opposite of this is the command is is not the command is not to put to death the misdeeds of the body the command is not to put to death the misdeeds of the body The command is, by the spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. By the spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You're not supposed to do it on your own. The spirit of the living God is in you and beside you to help you. His presence in in you... Makes it necessary to obey him. But his presence in you makes it possible to put to death the misdeeds of the body. His presence in you makes it possible to put to death misdeeds of the body. He leads us away from sin. as He also, he also leads us to call out to God as our father. He leads us to call to God as our father. Verse 14. He brings about our adoption, making us children of God. So he doesn't just keep us in a sort of holding pattern of barely discernible, increasing godliness until we die. He makes effective in us what Jesus has done, bringing about a change in our status now. From being enemies of God to being children of God. And that means, verse 17, that we're heirs with Christ It means we share in his sufferings, yes, rejected and hated for belonging to him. But in the end, we'll be glad of those sufferings as we also get to share in his glory. And this isn't some theoretical thing that might happen in the future. The promise is that it will happen because of what we have already, the Holy Spirit in us. So that means in the the here and now... We don't need to live in fear as slaves. So instead of obeying because of fear of punishment, we can obey out of love for our heavenly father. Instead of covering up our failures and running away, we can turn to God the father for forgiveness. And we're empowered to do all this by our advocate, our helper, our comfort, the Holy Spirit. So we cry out to God as Father, through Jesus, by the Spirit. In Jesus, we've got the perfect example of someone setting their mind on what the Spirit desires, putting to death his own flesh desires, and crying out to God. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is contemplating his betrayal and death, this is in, from Mark's Gospel, Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. When you came to put your trust in, In this Jesus, he kept his promise and gave you his spirit to enable you to follow his example, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. Okay, so to summarize, through Jesus, the spirit has set us free. It's a done deal. There is no condemnation. The Spirit makes real and actual in us what Jesus has made possible. So if you are harbouring any guilt or shame, your deeds no longer condemn you. There is no condemnation. And the Holy Spirit governs our minds, bringing us life and peace, acting powerfully in us to make us gradually more like Jesus. And deny more and more our sinful desires. The Holy Spirit leads us away from sin. Meaning it's no longer hopeless to try to resist as we do so by his power. And as you struggle, be encouraged that your struggle is a sign of life. Of the Spirit at work in you, giving you life, convicting you and helping you to change. And the Spirit leads us to cry out to God as Abba, Father knowing the promise of inheriting glory with our brother, Jesus. Free from condemnation, no longer on your own, but full of the life-giving spirit and adopted as a child of God. This is the assurance the Holy Spirit gives you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. And I thank you. That we're not alone. That you are with us. And in us by your spirit. Uh, where we're struggling. Where we're harboring guilt. We bring that before you now. We ask you by your spirit. To more and more fix our minds. On you. And less and less. On our selfish desires. And I thank you that in Jesus. There is no condemnation. Amen.